we've got a great group of people that I work with every week. But Dave brings something special, you know, every week, and, and his wife when she is able to join us as well. So as you saw there, uh, Dave, our lead pastor, is um, over where he comes from. He's over in England with his family. They're visiting their family over there, having a good time, making us all jealous with their, uh, their posts of being in the Alps and being in front of this major landmark, you know. Has anyone else felt a little bit of envy kind of going on? God's been working in your heart like he's been working in mine. I've been dealing with that. I'll be honest with you. But no, it's been a good vacation for them, a little getaway. They only are able to do it every couple years or so. So, um, you know, so we're certainly happy for them, and it's a well-deserved vacation. So a couple of weeks ago, um, but when Dave came to me and he said, hey, Andy, I'm going to be out of town, and I need you to cover for me on this particular Sunday, a lot of times, if you come to Connect, you know that we do a lot of series, right? And series kind of point us in a direction with a subject and they give us something that we're gonna talk about. So a lot of times when I'm up here, I already kind of know before he asks me, if, if I'm asked, this is kind of the direction I'm gonna go. But this is one of those special weeks where we're in between series and so this is what we call a one-off in the office. You know, it's kind of, it's whatever we feel like we're supposed to talk about. And I love these because there's a few subjects that I'm very passionate about, right? There's a few things, you know, if you get going, talking with anyone, you can tell the things that are really important to them. And this is one of the subjects that I want to share with you today. Right away when he told me, hey, just kind of pray about it, figure out what God wants you to talk about, I pretty much knew right away where I wanted to go with this talk. And the reason for that is that Years ago, when this talk was first presented to me in some capacity, whether it was on a Sunday morning in a setting like this or in a Bible study or over, over the course of a few weeks, I don't remember. But the, the subject that I want to share with you today just really rattled my cage a lot, right? It, it really made me, it, it changed my life in a way that very few things ever have. It's a message, and I don't mean to build this up with a lot of hyperbole, but I really, in my estimation, the subject of, of this, this talk today is something that is so positively life-changing for anyone who can grasp onto this. What if I told you today that there is absolutely, within your grasp, there is a key that could unlock the door for you to live the absolute best life you could possibly live? What if I told you that? What if I told you that not only is there a key that's available to you that will open the door for you to the best life, but what if I told you that it's been right with you all along? And, and maybe you didn't even know it. Maybe it's like, it's like Dorothy with her ruby slippers, right? She's been going the whole journey with the solution right there on her feet, and she had no idea that what she was looking for was with her the whole time, and she just didn't realize it. So she marches down the yellow brick road, and she asks for help here and help there, and she's off to see the wizard. And finally, the wizard can't help her, and, it's just, and, and she realizes it was there the whole time. Her solution was on her feet. See, the, the, the solution, the key that I want to talk to you about today is something that, you know, in Dorothy's case, she just needed somebody to point it out to her and say, hey, they're right there, you know? And for what I want to do today... Excuse me. Is I want to point out to you a little bit of this this solution, this key that can open this door for you to live the absolute best life. So when I talk about living the best life, uh, I, I don't think there's anyone here who would ever say, you know what, Andy, I, I think I'm good. You know, I don't I don't need that. You know, the best life. I don't need that. I I, I kind of like living the mediocre life, or I like living a life that's pretty 
messed up. You know, that's kind of my wheelhouse. That's where I'm comfortable. I like the messed up life. Nobody wants to kind of settle in that realm of a life that is less than what God intended for you to live. When Jesus spoke years and years ago, he spoke about his purpose, why he came to earth. And he compared his purpose to Satan's purpose. And he said to the people who were listening in John chapter 10, he says to them, the thief, which is what he called Satan, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And then in the next breath, he offers a solution, an an alternative. He says, but my purpose is to give those same people a rich and satisfying life. So here's something you need to understand about yourself. It's something you need to understand about your reality. It's that There are two purposes that are competing and dueling for your life. You've got Satan on one hand who offers death, destruction, um, you know, bond, you know, being bound by different, you know, different problems, right? This is what Satan offers. And then on the other side, you've got Jesus who came to this earth for the very purpose of offering you an out, and giving you a solution where you could live the best life. See, that word that is translated, remember Jesus spoke Greek originally in, this, in his day. That was the common language. This was originally written in John's gospel in the language of Greek. And it's been translated to English. And so what we've done is we've done our best to interpret the meaning from what Jesus actually said into our meaning so people can grasp his, his intention. And, and some translations say, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life more abundantly. Other translations might say, life to the fullest. Here, the New Living translates it as a rich and satisfying life. The the word that is translated there where you get those different meanings is this word, it's a Greek word, paresos, and it basically what it means is a superior life, an uncommon life, an extraordinary life. This is Jesus' own words saying, this is why I have come, to give you this kind of life, a life that is above what you may currently be living. And so you've got this choice. Which one, which purpose am I going to pursue? Which one am I going to believe is my purpose for my life? Do I want my life to be marked by death and destruction? Do I want my life to be marked by God's blessing, God's favor, God's grace? So let's be honest. There are times in our lives, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you, where I feel like my life is more identified by the destruction than it is by the blessing. There are times, if I'm honest, I look at my relationships and I think, man, this feels hopeless. I look at my finances and I think, man, this doesn't feel like blessing. This feels like death, you know? I, I, you look at your business. You look at whatever. And, and there are times where we get, where we identify more with what Satan intended for you than with what God intended for you. And some of you are here today, and this is exactly where you're at. You can identify more with that side of things, with, with the fact that Satan has this plan to destroy your life. And you're in the middle of it right now. You're feeling it. Your relationships, maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe you've got a child who's rebelling and turning against you and it all feels hopeless and it feels like it's marked and identified by death, these relationships. And I want to tell you today that that is not God's intention for your life. That is not what God has for you. 
okay? God doesn't, he, his plan, his, the, the reason why Jesus came was to give you a life that is superior, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of everyone in, around you. Because what God originally told Abraham, which was the beginning, we call him Father Abraham in the, the, the Christian and even Jewish circles, because our faith kind of goes back to him. He was the one that God created this relationship with. And when God did this, he, he said to Abraham, I have blessed you so that you will be a blessing to others, to the whole world. The whole world will be blessed through you. That's the purpose of, of God doing the good for you, is that you can be a blessing to the people around you as well. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you uh, about this key, and, and help you to understand that there is a way that the door can be opened for you to a rich and satisfying life. And today, what I want to do is I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 3. If you know much about the Bible, you know that Ephesians was a letter that was originally written by a man named Paul, and he was writing it to a group of Christians, okay? Now, it's titled Ephesians because it was probably originally sent to the church in a city called Ephesus, but a lot of b biblical scholars believe that this was actually a very general letter. Like in a lot of Paul's letters, he would say, hey, good morning to this person, or it's so good to, I, I hope, I hear you're doing well. And he would address people specifically because it was specifically for that group of people. But this one has none of that, which leads a lot of scholars to believe this was like a general letter that was supposed to be passed around from church to church to church to church. And so the, the, the idea there being that this was a letter that was intended for the church, not a church, okay? The church, for us 2,000 years later. And so this prayer in Ephesians chapter three, I found this years ago, and I, I realized that in this letter, Paul stops in two places. In chapter one, he does this at one time, and then in chapter three, he does this, where he stops and he, he writes down, this is how I pray for you, to these believers that he's writing to. And, and so, Probably 10 years ago, when I first, this light went on for this, I realized, man, what a better prayer to pray than one that God inspired Paul to write in the Bible, right? And, and I want to pray that for the people that I care about, just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians and the people in Laodicea and the people in Philadelphia and where the churches throughout that area that he would have been writing this letter to. So this is the prayer that I pray for my kids. When I pray for my kids, I pray this prayer. When I pray for you guys, as one of the pastors of your church where you attend, this is how I pray for you. And this is the prayer that can also be prayed by you for the people that you care about. So let's take a look at this. This is in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. <coughs> Paul writes this. He says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make you strong. Then Christ, I'm sorry, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and your roots will grow down into his love and keep you strong. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never understand it fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. 
This is the prayer that Paul prays for the church, and we pray for you today. Now, now, I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where you were taught to recite prayers, right? Like, if you grew up Catholic, for example, you're probably, you probably learned the rosary prayers, and you learned this kind of prayer. I didn't grow up Catholic, so I'm going to sound totally ignorant when I say this, but like I know from just talking with people, you know, in that tradition, you're taught to recite a prayer. In other tra- traditions, you might be taught you recite the Lord's Prayer, or you recite, now I lay me down to sleep, and pray my soul the something keep, you know, the rhyming kind of prayers. And so here's the thing about reciting prayers, is that a lot of times we, we, we can say them, but we don't really get them. We don't really get the, the point behind the prayer. You know, even the Lord's Prayer, God, Jesus taught us how to pray using the Lord's Prayer, and I think it's good to recite it, but I also think it's good to understand what the whole point of the prayer is and understand the nuances there. So what I want to do here for you today is I want to take a, a few minutes and just kind of teach on this prayer and show you some three areas, three parts to this prayer that I think will help you to understand how to pray and how to live and, and, and how to uh, rise above the circumstances of this world. Three parts to this prayer, and I want to break this down for you. The first part is this. Paul prays for inner strength given by God. All right? He says in verse uh, 16, he says, I pray that from his glorious Unlimited resources, he will empower you with strength through his spirit. It's really important for us to note that this is God's strength that he gives to us, okay? This is not manufactured strength that I came up with. This is not me conjuring enough willpower to be strong. This is God giving strength to people who aren't strong enough. In this life, we are not strong enough. We need his strength to help us through the good times, through the bad times. We need his strength in our lives. And so this is his work. Not only is it his strength, but he's the one who provides it. We don't go and we don't, you know, it's not a a, a method, you know, something where we have to do certain things in order to earn it. We, I'll, I'll tell you what our part is here in a minute. Don't get, don't say, well, he told me to be lazy and just sit there and be passive and God's gonna give me strength. That's not what I'm saying. I'm gonna get to our part here in a second. But this is God imparting the strength and giving it to us when we need him. Then he says, and then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you, say that word with me, as you trust in him, right? God will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So here's where you come into this equation. Your part in gaining God's strength is not in working out. Your part is trusting that what he provides is enough. That's your part. As, as, as people of God, when, when it came to you first coming into a relationship with Jesus, your part was not getting all the sin out of your life. Nope, you can't do that. That's God's job, right? Your part was to trust that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he went, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose from the dead, that that was enough. Your part is always trust. Your part is always faith in what he has done. And and what Paul says here is that God is going to bring the strength. Your part is to trust that he's going to bring the strength. And to trust that the strength that he's given you, kind of like the ruby slippers that are already on your feet, you may not even realize it. He's already provided you with strength. And your job is to trust that that will get you through. Paul goes on and he says, and as this happens, your roots will grow down into his love 
and keep you strong. Let's bring out the picture of a, a, a massive tree. I, we lived in Florida for a while, and they had these incredible, I don't even know what kind of tree it was, but the branches would grow all like crookedy. They looked like a big kind of, I don't know, like an oak tree or something. But the, 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 there was this one at our bank, and the, it, the branch started really high, and it was huge. You know, it wasn't like a little twig. It was like, and it came all the way to the ground like a slide, and then scooped up. It just remarkable <laughs> trees. And these things have been there for, I don't know, 100 years, maybe more. And the thing about a tree is the, the roots of that tree have to go down into the soil and draw up strength and nourishment from the soil. So in this illustration here, the soil is God's love. We, as God's people, draw our strength from him. Just like uh, the, the, the broader a tree's roots go out, the more secure it is. The, uh, the tree draws its nourishment from the soil so that it can continue to grow and be healthy. And what Paul says here is that God's love is the soil in which we are made strong. God's love is the soil through which when, when the storms of life come and the, and the winds come howling and they, 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 they're, you know, and I'm in danger of being knocked over by this horrible season in my life, what keeps you strong? God's love. Your roots go down into him. He provides the strength. He provides the, 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 um, the, the nourishment. And your part is to trust that his love is enough to get you through that season. So here's the thing too. Like a tree, you're not, it's not going to be blown away. It's not going to be blown over. You can't be taken out of God's love. You can't be taken out of God's love. There's a whole thing in Romans where Paul says, nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Romans chapter 8. So the third part, or the second part of this prayer, the first part again is that God provides strength. You provide trust. Secondly, we need to understand God's love. He says this in verse 18. He says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So I, there's, there's, there's something to be said for having a mental acknowledgement of the fact that God desperately loves me. How do we, how do we get that understanding? How do, how, think about your own life. What are the, the tools that you have that teach you that God loves you desperately? What are they? I, I would suggest Bible study is one of the primary ways you learn God's love. Because the, think about it like this. The Bible is, if you read it through the lens that I've begun to read it through a few you know, years back, the lens that this whole book is a love story. It shows me the depths of God's love for me. The whole story of Jesus is a love story. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves you. And so when you begin to read the Bible with an understanding that the entire thing is a reminder, this is the extent of his love for you, it, it's a, it's a, then every time you open that book, you are reminded. You can hold on to verses. You can hold on to stories. And when things come up in your mind and you feel worthless or you feel rejected or you feel whatever, you know what you can do? You can recall those memories because you have a mental understanding of the promises that God has made to you, that he loves you. He will not forsake you. He will be with you. Do you understand that? 
That's very important. Prayer is another way. Uh, spending time with my wife is one of the ways we cultivate our love and our affection for one another. Uh, you know, without those times together, it does in our house, I don't know about your house, but it does tend to get more difficult to, you know, be on the same page and feel each other's love. Time together is important. Uh, time with other people who can remind you that when you're going through a difficult time and, and somebody in your small group or somebody on a Sunday morning hears about that and says, hey man, I just want you to know I heard about what's going on in your life and uh, I'm praying for you. You know what that is? That's a reminder that God loves you and God sent that person to remind you as a vessel to, to point you back to him in that. And so, the first part of this prayer is that we need to have inner strength that is rooted in his love. The second part of this prayer is that we have an understanding of God's love up here where we can recall um, you know, instances and Bible verses and things that re remind us that he is on our side and he loves us. And then thirdly, Paul prays that we would not only understand it, but we would experience his love. Now, this takes it to a whole new level. Because there are a lot of things that I understand up here, but I, I, he, Paul even says in verse 19, he says, may you have the power to understand, or, I'm sorry, in verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. So a moment ago he says, you need to understand God's love, and now he's saying, ah, but that's not enough just to understand it. Have a few Bible verses memorized. You need to feel it. You need to experience it because you're not going to be able to grasp it fully. There are so many things. I have a, a son who is so uh, fascinated by the universe. He just, he wants to constantly read studies about um, the universe and, uh, and he's always watching videos and things like that. And, uh, and when he's talking about outer space, he'll come to me and he'll say, hey, Dad, uh, did you know blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm like, I had no idea, but you just blew my mind. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, he came to me, you know, the, recently I found out, I don't remember if it was th through him or what, there's a, the farthest galaxy away from us that's ever been discovered by scientists, I guess, is 13.3 billion with a B, light years away. Now, somebody tell me, do you get that? I don't get, I mean, I know that's a long ways away, but I don't know, is that farther away than it is from here to China? I don't know, it's all far, you know what I mean? I don't get it. There are so many things that are so big, I can't, in my little pea brain, I can't figure out, I can't grasp it. I know it's 13.3 billion, I don't even know how far a light year away is, let alone 13.3 billion of them, right? So space goes on and on and on. But here's the thing that I know. My son spends a lot of time pondering these questions, watching videos, uh, reading books, things like this, and learning about it. So you want to know something? Because he spends time meditating on that, he gets it better than I do. He may not grasp it as much as, say, you know, uh, you know one of the... I, I, Degrassi, whatever his name is. Yeah, that guy, yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he, but he, he's, he gets it more than I do because he spends time pondering this. So, it's, so what Paul says here is that not only, it's not enough to just know about it because you'll never fully grasp it. You need to experience it. You need to experience it. Now here, I said a moment ago, this isn't a passive exercise at all. I wanna talk to you about how you receive 
God's love. Because sometimes this just sounds like a passive thing, like we just need to kick back and just whatever, and God will do whatever. But the fact of the matter is, this is an exercise. This is a discipline. This is a new way of thinking that you have to be aware of, and you have to change your circumstances at times to align yourself with this. Because, um, because living loved, right, Receiving God's love means we have to be intentional about putting ourselves in a position to receive the love that he has for us. Let me give you an example of this as best as I can, all right? And don't be surprised if I tear up here in just a moment, all right? (laughs) Um, Go ahead and put that next picture up, if you would, please. Um, This picture that we have here, I think we have it, is my son, Evan, when Evan was probably about two years old, all right? Just the sweetest kid. I don't know, Evan is here today. I don't know if he's helping in kids or he's back there. I see hands all over. I love you, Evan. <laughs> uh, so Evan, his personality, he's just very tender-hearted, right? He's very sweet. He's very kind. And he's, he's, he's the kind of kid who just, he, he's not afraid to tell you he loves you. He's not afraid to give you a big hug. He's always been that way. He's a very special kid. Um, and all my kids are, but he's just, he's unique in this way. And when Evan was, you know, when my boys were little, my kids were little, I did a routine similar to probably what many of you, many of you parents have done or do currently. It was, uh, you know, bedtime. All right, boys, let's go in the room. I'm going to tuck you in, maybe read you a bedtime story, maybe, uh, you know, ha- have some fun together or whatever. Just take a few minutes. I want to hear about your day, things like that. And then I'm going to tuck you in, pray for you, and good night. You know, that was kind of the routine. And if you've ever been an imperfect parent like I've been, um, you know that sometimes your heart isn't in it as much as it should be, right? Because your day's been long, and it's been difficult, and you just want to get in on the couch and shut down this brain and not have anything more to do. You're looking at bedtime as a time to have me time, right? And so you're trying to hurry through it. So I was there. I was there this one particular night, and Evan um, and my boys were in bunk beds, and so I went in, it was like this, hey boys, all right, listen, daddy's tired, I gotta get it out there, there's some stuff I gotta get done, so um, let me just, well, tell me about your day tomorrow, just remember today, and then we'll, you know, whatever, um, and let me just pray for you, Jesus, bless them, thank you, Lord, love you, amen, blah, 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 and it was one of those kinds of prayers, I wasn't really doing it well, right, and I go, all right, boys, I gotta head out, love you, good night, and I'm ready to turn off the light, and I get to the edge of the room, and Evan says, daddy, <laughs> and I say, what, bud? And he says, I want to give you the hugest squeaky hug in the world. That's how he said it. I want to give you the hugest squeaky hug. Squeezy hug is what he's saying. Um, I want to give you. And so I was like, oh, that sounds good, bud. And so, you know, I'm tired and I'm kind of preoccupied. But I'm like, who can turn down that kid when he wants to give you the hugest squeaky hug in the world? So I go over and I jump on his bed with him. He's on the bottom bunk. And I wrap him up like this. And I do this thing where I wrap my arms around him. Huge bear hug. And I squeeze him tight. And I'm just kind of rolling around and tickling him a little bit. I'm like, ah, okay, that was fun. He giggles a little bit, and he's like, okay. You know, and so I'm like, all right, buddy, I love you. Good night. So I get up, and I start walking out, and he says, Daddy. <laughs> I say, well, what, buddy? And he says, I want to give you the hugest squeaky hug in the world. And so I say, uh, you know, at this point, you're like, okay, this is a stalling tech- technique, right? We've all experienced that as parents. We know, what, we know what they're up to. So I'm like, okay, one more, buddy, one more. I can't turn that down. So I go back, and I grab him, and I wrap him up on his bed, and I squeeze him as tight as I can and do the whole thing over again and tickle him and giggles and this whole thing. It's very sweet. Ah, <sighs> Daddy's tired. <laughs> Good night. I love you. 
I turn around and I walk towards the door. And I'm at the light and I'm ready to flip the switch. And I hear one more time, Daddy. But it's different this time. It's not playful, it's emotional. I hear him say, Daddy. I say, what, bud? I could hear something in his voice. I said, what? <laughs> this is where I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> and I turn around. I say, what? What's going on? He says, Daddy, I said, I want to give you the hugest squeezy hug in the world. <laughs> and I realized that every time I had gone to him, I had grabbed him and given him the hug and limited his ability to love me the way he wanted to love me, right? I went over, I sat down on the edge of his bed, and, and he got up, and he wrapped me in a bear hug. <laughs> and he squeezed me, and he tickled me, and he did the whole thing to me. And of course, I'm reaching back around, and I'm hugging him too. But listen, I learned something about myself that day. I learned about myself that when it comes to love, I am far better at taking control and taking the action in my own hands than I am receiving it. And I realized about myself that I had the same problem in my relationship with God. When it comes to my relationship with God, I come into a worship service like this, we sing songs about how much we love God, and I'm sitting there, God, I love you, God, I love you, God, I love you, this is how much I'm gonna, you know, I love you, God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are times and I never knew this, probably before this experience, I never knew this, but there are times where God, in a worship service, wants me to shut my mouth and let him wrap his arms around me and love on me. And I never gave him that opportunity. But here's what you need to know about this whole situation, right? It's that for you, for me, it is so important that we practice the discipline of letting God love us. It's not passive. You're not just kicking back and just what, doing nothing. You have to actively, intentionally turn your attention to him. This is how my day begins many days. I wake up. One of the first things I think in my mind as I'm getting ready is, Lord, I know that you love me. I want to receive your love today, however you want to love on me. And I want to tell you something. I used to, when I first, when I first was kind of considering this kind of thought, like, like God loving me, it, it almost feels like we're making us the star of the show, right? Like if God loves me, look how great I must be, right? And so a lot of people struggle with this thinking, you know, like, hey, you know, God's the good one. I'm not the good one. You know, well, I'm not going to brag about his love for me. That sounds arrogant. No, it's not arrogant at all. You misunderstand. This is a total change of thinking, okay? If you think that, let me challenge you on this, all right? This isn't about how great you are. This is about, we all know, we're kind of a mess, right? We're kind of a mess. Some of us wouldn't even say kind of. We're a mess. <laughs> and, and God loves us anyway, so who does that put the, the spotlight on? It puts the spotlight on God because his love is so great, he could do all of that for us when we are not that great. God loves you and God loves me. And this is one of the most important things that you can ever, ever understand. The, 
Billy Graham, the evangelist, it's been said that, that, that he was being interviewed at one time and somebody asked him, said, Mr. Graham, uh, you've preached in huge arenas and you're probably the most famous preacher on the planet right now. Um, what's the single most important thing you've ever learned? You, know what, you wanna know what his answer was? You'd think that somebody of his status would have some like highly philosophical uh, answer and say, well, so this one time I learned about, you know, and then just rattle off something that just goes over everyone's head, you know, because he's so smart and he's learned so much. But the most important thing he said he learned was this, his response. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Listen, Paul goes on, and at the end of this prayer, he prays this. He says, with the then, which means as a result of these things that I've already said, okay? You've been given inner strength by God through trust. You have been made strong in his love. You have an understanding of God's love that comes through his word, comes through prayer, comes through fellowship with other Christians. You've got an experience of God's love where you're stopping on a regular basis and training yourself to let him bear hug you then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. You want to know what the key to the best life is? It's living loved by your heavenly Father every single day. I pray for my kids all the time. And, and for a long time, I prayed, God, I pray that they will get good jobs, and I pray that they will be positive, you know, uh, they will have a positive outlook on life, and I pray that, you know, I still kind of pray those things, but you know what I pray, the, the basis of my prayers for my kids? Let my kids know how deeply you love them. Let them know that your love for them is so great that... Nothing they can ever go, come up against, nothing that can come up against them will ever rock them, will ever tear them apart. Let them be strong in your love. And that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for the people in my life who I care about. And this is your prayer. I, pr I hope you'll adopt this prayer for your own lives, for your own family. And I wanted to break it down for you so you understand the parts of it rather than just reciting it without really understanding it. <coughs> If you want to know the key to living a life that is superior, that Jesus intended for you to have, it's that you live in his love every day. And the cool thing is, when you experience this, it's not enough to just sit on your hands and just enjoy it yourself. You know what the natural response is when you begin to grab a hold of this stuff? It's that you want everyone around you to have experience that same love because it's so liberating. It's so life-giving. It's so... You know, it's just the best thing when you actually experience God's love. And so it's something that you take to others and don't just hold on to for yourself. Let me pray for you today. Jesus, thank you so much for your unfailing love. God, thank you, Lord, that, that you have opened eyes here today to see that maybe they've struggled to let you love them. They've been really good at showing their love to you through serving through giving, through attending church, through being involved in different ways. And Lord, this has been their best effort to show your love, their love for you. 
But God, they've, for whatever reason, it's been difficult for them to stop and slow down and let you love them back. Father, I pray that you'll just open each one of us up to see how deeply you love us and to not only to, to, to understand it in our heads, but to, to, to experience it on a daily basis. And Lord, our part in all of this is to understand that your love is enough and you will get us through and you will bring us uh, through every difficult season. And Lord, our lives will not be marked by death and destruction and loss, but rather by blessing and grace and favor. Lord, we thank you for all of this, and we give you praise for it now, in Jesus' name, amen.